Shoulders, posture, stress, and bone. Give us a role we can make our own. Audra McDonald, Adina Menzel. We are gay witches and this is our spell. Dark room, bright lights. Debbie, Harry, wearing tights. Stiff drink, high heels. David, Gavin, doing deals. Lovers and strangers and big chandeliers. But no home to go to. So I'm staying here. Hello, welcome to the Extra Credits of Theater Camp. I'm Trey. And I'm Kelsey. Today we are talking about maybe the most underrated movie of 2023 and the most surprising movie of the year too. One of our favorite films. I'm so excited. Yeah, this is definitely one of my favorite movies of the year. One of the funniest movies of the year. And so if you have this in theaters near you uh, still because it is a limited release, go see it. It was also one of my favorite like community theater viewing experiences. Yes. Uh, But if not, it is coming on streaming pretty soon, right? Yeah. In about three weeks. I think September 14th is where Hulu is at with it right now. So that's really exciting. I think this is already kind of turning into a cult classic. But once it hits streaming and people of all generations (laughs) can turn it on on their TVs, I think this movie is going to blow up. Yeah. And today, after you finish listening to Trey and I just talking about how much we loved this movie... You can also stick around. I had a conversation with the co-director and co-writer of Theater Camp, Nick Lieberman. Yeah, I'm really excited to listen to that. I'm really sad we couldn't get all the other camp counselors from the movie on the show. (laughs) Uh, Obviously, we support the strikes and Nick was nice enough and kind enough to come on the show and and have a pretty Mm -hmm. awesome conversation with Kelsey that I was jealous that I wasn't on for because I had so many questions about all the music choices (laughs) and editing and so much other things that I'm excited to get into today. Yeah. And before we jump into theater camp, let's let people know what we have going on and like what mm-hmm. we have coming up. So we currently are in a Martin Scorsese rewatch and watch of the first time of some of his films. Yeah, We're trying like I to hadn't like, seen Mean Streets before. Yeah. Mean Streets is a good example. Alice Doesn't Live Here is a movie we just watched last night for yeah. the first time. Um, he's made like 26 feature films, I believe, or 25 full films. And I think New York Stories, he did a segment of that we haven't seen yet. That's number 26. And obviously Killers of the Flower Moon is coming out in October. We're really excited for that. That'll be number 27. We are trying to watch all of his movies because we are preparing for like major Scorsese episodes in September. Yeah, and a lot of really fun guests yes. and cool episodes coming up. I'm, I'm really excited. Me too. I don't want to set it up like Martin's coming on the show. <laughs> Imagine. Yeah. What a mic drop that would be. <laughs> no. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but it's been really fun. Like if you don't follow us on Letterboxd, there are some people who are watching along with us uh, to just rewatch or watch for the first time a lot of his movies. And so if you want to follow us on Letterboxd and do that with us, it is just really cool to see um, where he has gone throughout time. Like he's obviously interested in certain themes, but, um, but yeah. And and we usually watch a director's like filmography from Mm -hmm. start to finish. But I feel like with Scorsese, we're t- doing it in like categories. Almost like accident, accidentally thematically watching his yeah. movies. Like here are his gangster crime movies. Here are his religious films. Yeah. Here's his like economic crises exactly. movies. Yeah. And yeah, I think that's been a lot of fun to do that. Um, and uh, I think it would have been really kind of overwhelming to watch it from start to finish. I like that we keep going back from like, let's watch one of his bangers that we know is like a certified Academy Award nominee mm-hmm. to one of his more like underseen movies. I think yeah. that's been the a good decision on our part. Uh, aside from Scorsese, we've been watching Emma Seligman. We that's just saw true. we're going to see Baby. Bottoms tomorrow. We're seeing Bottoms tomorrow night. We just saw Shiva Baby last week at Alamo Draft House, which was really cool. We've obviously seen it many times. We own it. 
Um, we own the film, and we are really excited to uh, explore both of those movies later yeah, this I week can't or wait next week to talk yeah. about them too. Uh, I'm hoping yeah. to do a double feature with the Emma Seligman episode. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That sounds good. Yeah, because we. I think we talked about Shiva Baby like very briefly in 2021 when we probably. talked about All My Friends Hate Me. I think yes. we were talking about the like anxiety, anxiety thriller movies, right? And yeah. you asked me to rank them on the spot. Um, <laughs> so I think we did talk about that Shiva Baby like there. But yeah, yeah, I'm I'm excited to talk about those. And speaking of Shiva Baby, Molly Gordon. Oh, that's true. A connection. Good transition. Bringing us back to theater camp. Let's get into it. Okay, let's do it. What up, Adirondack? Listen up, squad, gang, maybe, uh, zip it. Can we just get you guys to shit? Oh, what a beautiful morning. Oh, that was dope. Welcome, auditioners. You guys are so talented, so unbelievable. This will break you. This will fully destroy you. Congratulations on being the most talented kids at camp. Stop it. Starfish. Jiggle like a jackal. Jiggle like a jackal. These are the things we can do with masks. These people are really weird. That's a good song choice for right? I do believe her as a French prostitute. Famous. Oh, I'm sorry. Sex worker. Thank you. Sad news. I will not be doing piercings anymore in the hut because there's a narc amongst us. Um, Cassie has narked. It's totally fine. We're going to need to prioritize the musicals, which means the straight plays are going to have to be acoustic. Quick question. What's a straight play? There are musicals and then there are straight plays. So then what would be a gay play? I guess a, a, a musical. Oh, cool. Okay, so Theater Camp is co-directed by Molly Gordon and Nick Lieberman, and they also co-wrote the movie with Noah Galvin and Ben Platt. And, so cool. Yeah. And what's even cooler is that they have been friends for a long time yeah. and really involved in theater together from a young age. Like I think Ben and Molly even younger, right? They have that like footage of them, those home videos doing theater in like elementary school. Or I was something. wondering if that was real. That's funny. Yeah. I asked Nick, I, I like assumed it was, but <laughs> yeah. when we first saw it, yeah, I was, we were like, is that them? Also because we don't have a lot of background with these people because we we aren't as into theater i guess as other yeah. people might be yeah so i didn't um we're not as familiar with like i know ben who platt. ben platt is we know but obviously I just don't. Know he yeah is. yeah but um, we don't have the same relationship to him that a lot of people on, people on the internet seem to have yeah yeah um yeah i don't i don't understand any of like the i don't know the discourse i have the no, letterbox discourse. i don't even want to touch it honestly <laughs> because he's so sick in this movie that yeah. like i just want to remember him through this lens only and whatever anybody else is talking about <laughs> i don't care what uh, does he say he's like i'm not feeling your ibs i yeah. love his one-liners are so good so also Wait, is that him or is that molly gordon i kept mixing no, that's them up him. That's i know him? i mix up their lines a lot too because okay. they have so many scenes together gotcha. where they're like coaching the kids yeah but, but we do know noah galvin we do know Noah Galvin. Barcelona. <laughs> yeah. Um, from a uh, book smart and yeah. Molly Gordon is also in book smart. So, and I think actually they use their connections through book smart to help get this made, which is cool. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but something that people might not know, uh, maybe, you know, that these people like co-wrote this co-directed this, but, uh, they are a group of friends who like wrote the script as an outline. And then most of the movie was improv for the dialogue, which does make a lot of sense as far as it being so successful because Molly, Ben, and Noah all were co-writers and starred in the movie. Mm -hmm. So they could really impro improvise, but also 
know for certain, right. That they're adhering to that vision that they all created. So I think that's why it is so successful because you can imagine just being like, okay, let's make a movie with all our friends and the people who also were in it, like IO and the other like starring people like Owen Thiel, mm-hmm. uh, the other camp counselors um, yeah. were improving and their friends. So you could see like if if that were just some something where they didn't know the people who were involved, it could go wrong. I don't know. It, remi- it reminds me of Wet Hot American Summer, which I think influenced this movie <laughs> yeah. where you have to have like a group of people who are comfortable with each other to do improv in a, in a big feature yeah. film like this. Yeah. And speaking of what hot American summer, just like the chaotic energy that is in that movie and yeah. like the final play also shows up in, in this movie and yes. <laughs> in a way where you can tell friends made this movie. Like mm-hmm. I think the scene where Noah Galvin is like rolling down the hill, that was something they just decided to shoot one day. They're just like, well, we have like time just go ahead and like roll down the hill. At least I heard that in an interview. Incredible. But so you, I mean, you can tell they're having so much fun together and it's, made by a group of friends who like has a lot of inside jokes for this world that they've been a part of for so long, you know, this like theater world. And because of that, it's also like strangely endearing. So yeah, I want to, I want you to talk about like your first reaction to the movie, because if you remember when we first saw it, we walked out and I asked you, did you cry too? Yeah. I think it was funny. You just said the word endearing and like what really stands out about this movie after two viewings, um, I was really surprised on the second viewing it holding up as much as it did. Yeah. I think it does such a good job at tonally uh, having this like perfect balance between the absurdity of loving something as much as, as much as theater and also the kind of like emotional depths of like understanding that it's okay to have a coming of age story, even if you're in your, you're in your late twenties, which is like the case for the camp counselors. (laughs) So Weirdly, this movie I thought was going to be more about the Gen Zers, and it, and it is to a certain extent, but it's really about the counselors. And so in that way, I thought the movie was kind of subversive because it got both audiences in the theater, but it still got everybody to use the to laugh because it, the film is using like this Internet meme kind of like yeah. postmodern meta meta humor that is <laughs> yeah. very specific to uh, this generation of who've grown up with the internet and just their very kind of like weird sense of humor that is hard to place or pinpoint, but this movie totally understands it. So I really love how the movie was able to capture that balance because usually mockumentaries, like most audiences are going to be familiar with them because of popular TV shows like the off- sure, office yeah. or whatever, but usually mockumentaries can, uh, find their humor in the whip pans to show, you know, Jim Halpert's like, deadpan expression right and there's a lot of that in this movie but rarely is there kind of like an emotional beat running as a kind of current undercurrent through the film and there's multiple in this movie that really work through different relationships with the camp counselors and like their friendships and i thought that was just done so well after two viewings and of course i did cry listeners know i'm an easy crier but so like (laughs) obviously i was crying but it's very rare that i'm crying and laughing at the same time yeah in the last 10 minutes of this movie there's definitely like grab the person you're sitting next to like your partner's arms and being just laughing and crying at the same time just like you're kind of just overcome with emotion because of this like mini journey that you've been on with some of these characters and so not to spoil anything because we can go go into spoilers in a second but basically something happens at the end of this movie where you're like mouth agape like i can't believe they did that that was so yeah you're kind of looking at each other like 
how Rebecca, Diane and Amos like look at each other. Yes, <laughs> yes, exactly. Like across, except not across the room. Uh, and actually the, what happens at the end of this movie, it reminds me of what hot American summer in the final play. When you have Michael Showalter playing the two different characters at the same time. Oh yeah. If that makes That's sense. True. That's such yeah. a, like a, a deep cut to the boy hot American summer people. Yeah. But yeah. Well, that that is so I didn't even like think about that. Also, yeah. I asked Nick um about Pen Fifteen as an influence because if you remember, um Pen Fifteen does have I think it's in the second season that whole focus on the theater and like the tech people versus, the tech versus people. Yeah. people starring in the play. And it's so absurd. What like did these, he say about Pen 15? These kids playing 60 year olds too. And they're, um, he said that it was uh, an influence and okay, I hadn't sick. heard that anywhere else. I yeah. don't know if um, there was like a, you know, like things that people who are interviewing the cast and, and directors to like ask about are these influences like for these movies, sure. but Pen 15 for people who, have watched it. Um, if you haven't go check it out, it's amazing. If you like theater camp, you'll definitely love pen 15. It has that same like absurd, surreal Larry yeah, David. quality that it yeah. has that, that emotional undercurrent that you're talking about. Yeah. Um, but also we were talking about this right when we left the theater that it, it also reminded us of school of rock. Yes. That, that is, that is the comparison for me. I, I wish I could have, could have talked to Nick because I would have loved to ask him about, because I think he's our age, right? Yeah. Him and I Molly forgot are. to ask him about School of Rock, but yeah, they are. And School of Rock is such an important movie uh, to people our age because we grew up watching it like on Nickelodeon. Yeah, it a was lot of like, nostalgia. Jack Black obviously has a big you know influence over our generation, our age. And obviously Richard Linklater, the filmmaker on that movie, is very important to older generations. But I think School of Rock is kind of like the quintessential school movie yeah. <laughs> for a lot of people in our age demographic. And so I kept thinking about how theater camp was like the new school of rock using yeah. Gen Z sensibilities yeah. and like this internet humor to tell its story about this coming of age journey, but also like a story about found family and uh, kind of reforming your idea of what education should be to like not being as focused on conformity and mm -hmm. more yeah. focused on creativity and theater camp inherently is like not conforming and is creative. So it was just like a really smart environment and for, for this movie. And yeah. so it did feel like almost a, an evolution of school of rock. Yeah. Well, it lined up Trey and I watch school of rock every year before the school year starts. Yes. Um, and it's the 20 year anniversary this that, year. That so is true. Pretty big. Yeah. So, uh, and I cry at the end of school of rock too. Yes. Um, <laughs> seeing the kids perform. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, I think that they have that like connective thread of what education should be. And they both obviously have aspects of like the performing arts education. Mm -hmm. But I think also what you're talking about, that idea of, theater camp straying from what also school of rock is straying from this idea of conformity in education, mm -hmm. like the kids in school of rock at like a very young age value getting ahead, you know, in quotes, uh, competing in society. Right. Yeah. Um, and they also value standardized testing and those gold star sheets, right? Like Jack Black's character destroys the, the sheet and summer is like gasped and he's like, what kind of place is this? Yes. Um, but yeah, there's this like, <laughs> rejection in both of the movies of this like kind of stricter sense of order mm -hmm. uh in a educational environment and a move more towards like an embracing of creativity and like finding something that you're passionate about like finding a role for every student who doesn't fit into those like more exterior positions yeah. of success and, and school of rock and the band and also in theater camp, which yeah. is really cool to see in this movie, the way they do that with the tech kids, especially. Yeah, definitely the tech kids in, in school of rock, but and it's not like all the kids have to 
end up being spider you know yes, yeah. um but there is like there's nothing wrong with spider there's too. nothing wrong with spider he's chilling yeah. <laughs> he might be dating joan cusack that's pretty cool also joan cusack if we're not going to get a chance or to shout like, her out you, she's great he's like you're hot she's like are you are you warm yeah <laughs> <laughs> But there uh, is something there, like, about the the purpose of education, right? Yes. Like, in both these movies, even though they're both heightened in a way, theater camp even more so in this mockumentary style, mm-hmm. like, but it does at the center have this idea of the potential that education can have, like, within community and giving kids and people in general, like, space to explore uh, something that they love, but also, yeah. like, question their environment in School of Rock. So... I love that comparison. I also just want to say one more thing about Joan Cusack uh, before we leave Let's, School of Rock. Yeah, I love when she has that. They, first of all, her and Jack Black have great chemistry. Like when they're in the van, she's like, can you stop? No, stop singing. An iconic <laughs> dynamic for sure. But Stop I also, <laughs> yeah, I also love when she's talking about how the parents are like so intense and suffocating. Mm-hmm. Like she's like, these parents will eat me alive. It's right? different as a teacher. They, for sure. they yeah. want their child to get ahead by any means necessary. Yeah. And like they will stomp on me and everyone else to get there. And I think like because School of Rock has that aspect, it is a, I like it a little bit more as a education movie, if that makes sense. It's a five star movie. Yeah, I think it's a perfect film that gets like kind of you know, ding for being, being a Nickelodeon production. Sure. Yeah. I think it is, but yeah. Yeah. But I, I think so too. To me, it's almost a perfect movie. Yeah. And also people are surprisingly like split on Jack Black. I don't know. I don't No, Thank you. We, we are not, <laughs> we are not surprised. We almost, I mean, I guess I'll just say it now. We almost had him on oh, for the true. 20 year anniversary. Yeah. yeah. We were so close. And then they ended up doing, we contacted Jack Black's people like months ago to try to figure out to do a 20 month you know, anniversary, 20 year anniversary yeah. episode. But then as soon as we messaged them and we were figuring it out, then immediately, like within a week or two, they're like, we're actually now planning a 20 year anniversary <laughs> thing. <laughs> I just like always get ahead of things by like four or five months. And so I got so excited. We were like, we we've had have... this on the books yes. for five years yeah. <laughs> <laughs> before we even started a podcast. We uh, planned for school. Of we rock. have to have a school of rock episode one day. I think we definitely will. Yeah. Um, I feel like it makes sense. We're just so busy right now, but we're, it would make sense busy. to do on the 20th yeah. anniversary. Oh, well, we'll yeah. just do it for 25 for people who want to listen for our followers. But Okay, so let's go ahead and talk about theater camp. Let's do it. So we obviously talked about how this movie is so hilarious in its editing, right? Yeah. Like the cuts to the kid in the lunchroom who like narked and now there Cassie. can't be any piercings, right? Uh-huh. And then there's the improvised dialogue and that mockumentary style. But like you said, there's this emotional thread that kind of sneaks up on you throughout the movie. Like mm-hmm. when I first saw it. Spoilers. Oh, coming. Yes. yes. Let's say spoilers of yeah, theater yeah. camp coming. Um, so go so see come it. back here after yeah. you watch on Hulu <laughs> or in the theaters. Yeah. But that, that emotional aspect that creeps up on you, um, is something that I didn't expect at least when I first saw it. Cause again, I just didn't know anything about the movie before going to the theater. Like mm-hmm. I, I heard great things out of Sundance and, uh, that was basically it. I didn't watch a trailer. I didn't even know who was in it. So, um, I, the mockumentary style at first, I thought it was going to be all jokes, Yeah. but I think as you go through it, you feel this familiarity that the co-writers like were able to kind of have as that foundation. Um, they're mocking a community that they've grown up with yes. like theater. Yeah. Um, but their love of theater really comes through. 
Um, and their love of documentaries. Yeah. You can tell they yeah. love, like the creators do love documentaries from what I can tell. Like they've been referencing some of the most interesting ones over the past 25, 30 years. Yeah. And they love John Cassavetes and they love Verite style filmmaking. So you can feel not yeah, only Nick do talks they... about that in um, our conversation. Oh, cool. Yeah. You can definitely feel that they love both theater and the way that they're shooting the movie, which comes through. Yeah. And then there's also that absurd humor, obviously. Right. But there is still this inclusive, like authentic creative community as the foundation of the story that's so heightened. So it just mm-hmm. really works like that balance tonally just really works. And I think the reason it works, not only because there's the, the love of theater, um, I think it also works because there are two relationships yes. that are really driving the movie and, and are at the heart of this story. So like, obviously there are the kids um, with each other and this like kind of quirky ecosystem of the camp. Yeah. But there are the like two friendships and most people probably think I'm talking about Rebecca, Diane and Amos. Right. Yeah. Because, that seems to be the, the two, the centerpiece of the movie. Yeah. Like and they two. just like kill their roles. Right. Yeah. And their, their friendship in the movie is obviously driving the story. They're two friends who actually met at this camp and mm-hmm. they create the final show every year together. Like they're kind of, and we're with them a lot. They're like practicing the yeah. plays and trying to, you know, when like they're trying to write out what the play should say and, and be about. Like, yeah. So we're, we're getting a lot of behind the scenes with them. And we're on their kind of like time um, trajectory or their timeline, right? Yeah. Because we have the announcement of the shows and then we have rehearsals, mm-hmm. tech week, and then the final show. So Nick talks about later, um, y- you can listen to him like explain it more in depth uh, if, at the end. But he talks about how there is this like timeline that is pushing the movie, right? Yeah. And we are on their their timeline as a friendship right yeah and so i think of them as like the center of the movie that most people would think of when they left also because of the performances Mm -hmm. but i'm really talking about i think the biggest like heartbeat of the movie is the unexpected relationship between glenn and troy i'm so glad (laughs) you said that because noah galvin is glenn and jimmy tatro is troy i think are kind of the 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 secret MVPs yeah. of this movie. Yeah, and it's because their character arcs make the movie just a story that is ultimately about like self-discovery and finding a community that believes in you and that yes like yeah. or, or that you believe in and, and one that supports you and it's that basic but it's so effective <laughs> like I said like you also said we cried both times so yeah. um it really does hold up. So let's go ahead and talk about their characters before we get to Molly and Ben's characters. What's up, fam? Squad? What's up, gang? Whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah. <laughs> I was just going to make the noise. Um, uh. Uh, that that uh, noise reminded me I had a class once and they would like hit that siren button. Um, when Like when you're teaching content? When I was teaching. It would either be something where I said something that made everyone like pause, like, whoa oh nice <laughs> or it would just be like an awkward silence where no one answered my there's a my kid question. in the room yeah like, i think that was a critical thinking question <laughs> someone the, had it sound. um one of my kids that it was just a funny it was almost like a theater camp vibe of a class just a bunch yeah. of different personalities but they all really like loved each other and got along um and yeah someone had it on their computer just like hit the space bar every time. Um, before we even go into actually, sorry, cause I, I just want to interrupt you quickly. Cause I think we're going to forget this before we get into Jimmy Tatro or Noah Galvin. I think we should talk about how well the kids are shot in this movie. Like yeah. the, the Gen Z kids, the way that they're framed in all the scenes and like 
their side eyes <laughs> yeah. and their kind of looks of disapproval on some of the characters and excitement on some of the characters is so real to the way we've experienced working with Gen Z and like being yeah. mentors in a classroom and like educators. And it's just, it is very authentic and they really let these kids do like just be themselves. Well, they were also a part of the improv. And I think that's why, because yeah. it was in a sense, obviously they had heightened characters that they were playing mm -hmm. and it is this mockumentary style, but they were playing Gen Z characters. Yeah. Like they had freedom within their role. Um, and Nick explained that he told them it was going to be edited like a documentary. So he gave them a lot of like freedom to do that. And mm -hmm. so I think that is why you're right. Like this movie, uh, when we were watching it, we, we turned to each other and we said that this is, this is a movie that represents like an aspect of Gen Z. Like yeah. it feels like we're actually watching kids who are a part of that generation where a lot of times like in movies, they'll be like the kid who's like on their phone and like walks through the kitchen, like side eyes their parents, but it yeah, feels just so apathetic. Yeah. It, it feels or like, like in Barbie, Greg that, Erwitz yeah, movie, kind of like we just talked about that. Right? Repeating That's a good this example. emo culture cycle, which def definitely exists. Yeah. Like, there's definitely kids dressing like Billie Eilish and like, sure. And shout out those kids. Yeah, yeah. And shout out Billie Eilish, you know, yeah. but I think that that, yeah, it feels a lot of times like in Barbie um, and, and other movies, obviously, too, where it's like people don't really know uh, kids from that generation. And it, it feels Z, like a their idea of what those kids act like. There is a confidence in creativity, even though there are obvious like like glaring mental health issues across our education system that we can't really do anything about until we have those resources. And like that is very clear through this generation being so vocal about those things. But this generation, what they're so great at is being so confident in their creativity. Not everyone. I'm not generalizing. Right. But that is something that I've experienced now in two different states because I don't even think I've mentioned this, but the school I'm teaching at now ironically is a performing arts school. Yeah. So like I am teaching at like a theater school, which is really weird for me to be like, transitioning from a normal public high school to a public school but now it is like a theater school while yeah. talking about theater camp in my first week of teaching and something i've noticed right away is how just incredibly well this movie captures these confident kids and wanting to test their creativity at all yeah. times and uh like for example today can i go on a tangent real quick yeah yeah um so <laughs> The kids are working on this like global citizenship assignment where they're supposed to be studying uh, our philosophy as a culture and what we're evolving into and trying to build more bridges and not build as many walls metaphorically and literally. And uh, they're, so they're reading about like different UN ambassadors and their own philosophies on global citizenship. And they're comparing notes today in groups. And I come to like a really loud group as I'm going group to group. And there's two kids like doing improv with each other <laughs> who had already finished the assignment. And I was just kind of watching from a distance <laughs> and they were playing with like this stuffed. They were pushing, they were pulling on the stuffed animal back and forth, which I don't know where they got. Okay. I don't know where that came from. <laughs> and one of the boys is just like, Teresa, if you don't let me have him this weekend, I swear, I swear I'll say it. And then the, the other kid's like, say what? And then the kid goes, I'll say it, Teresa. You're an alcoholic. <laughs> And I was like, I don't know, like, what? it's impossible for me to explain that situation to like normal people about like what's going on in education <laughs> right now. But that is that happened. So that was one thing that is a, literally feels like it was a in scene, theater camp. Yeah, right? deleted yeah. scene from theater camp. So uh, last thing. So like literally two minutes Fighting later, over goes custody, by. like playing yes. these older roles. <laughs> it's all this meta humor. It's really funny. And uh, so th anyways, the kids are getting too loud at this point. Do you think it was a part of, of a day. play they're doing? 
no. No. I think they're just completely messing around because they finished their assignment and uh, they're just like, it's the end of the day. But the one of the kids uh, got also really loud across the room, and I'm like, okay, I gotta tone this down. I'm like, all right, guys, let's just bring it down. It's getting a little bit too loud in here. And one, and like, so three seconds passes of like kids starting to get silent, and one kid goes, "If I hear another peep, you're homophobic." <laughs> and I was like, what? <laughs> so like, that's the kind of humor that yeah. we're dealing with with oh the God, young kids. So, so funny. it really comes through in theater camp. It doesn't go to that extreme. I think they could have gone further. Yeah. But like a good example is when that girl, the one who is the tech girl come is at the party and she comes over and slaps one of the other theater oh kids my, in the face. Yeah. And the it's other part group, of like IO's combat training. Yes. It's amazing. Yeah. And, and the other group is like, Oh my God, what is happening over in this camp? That's just um, like combat. Yeah. yeah. I, I love that idea. First of all, that was hilarious. I think I'll like have more of those stories. That's yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I also think like, you know, Gen Z is obviously very funny. Like even, you know, uh, we've taught at public schools that people are more familiar with probably. And I'll like like, overhear like a table of kids just being like, I I wonder if I'll like ever get sick of driving. I hope I never get sick of driving just like random weird things. (laughs) Um, but I think since you're talking about the, like the fake slap, um, at the mixer, I just want to also shout out the lakeside kids. Like because I thought it was such a funny dynamic to have this tension of the Adirondacks kids versus the Lakeside kids, which is probably more like the School of Rock kids. But oh my god, you're be, right. right. That is the School of Rock. Like I can summer, see summer would go to that camp. Yes, yeah. <laughs> her being like, "Huh, I kind of like this theater." Camp. They get gold stars, right? They have money. like an, they have iPads and offshore accounts. So yeah. That's what we're told. <laughs> um, but I think like th- even that, like that was such a good example of what you're talking about. This authenticity of uh, a heightened yet like honest kind of or or just like more familiar idea of like kids who are in gen z and it reminded me of uh when we were watching it wes anderson movies for some reason because he often tries to like in asteroid city have those three kids who are obviously geniuses sitting around but it still doesn't capture the sense of gen z right like it's another example where it's like here's a filmmaker's idea of like what a teenager would act like I, yeah uh, wes, and, wes anderson's humor and sensibilities is such a good example for how gen z kind of operates in like their meta worlds that they operate in because of the internet but i uh but it's so funny you bring him up because the weird part of asteroid city with the kids and that's true for all filmmakers and the way they use kids from what i've seen i don't want to be absolutist but it does feel like yeah. all movies i watch with children in this generation are just misinterpreted the way that they're misinterpreted is like really simple to me. All the kids feel sedated hmm. and they and they don't feel like they're like vibrating at another frequency. And most students I've ever met are like raw nerves. And so like they just don't yeah. have that energy. Obviously, there's there is like a level of like some kids like sitting in the yeah, back. They like, like they keeping to themselves. It's like but, they think that Gen Z is like on their phones and doesn't know how to talk to each other. Yeah, I would something. say that was more like right. Up, like our generation. I was like right above our generation. And so <laughs> so like the 25 year olds right now, I would say we're dealing with more of that issue. But I yeah, this is completely different. Yeah. Um, but Wes, Wes also does have like one of my favorite public school representation scenes where in Rushmore, Max's character mm-hmm. goes from the private school to the public school. Oh my God. And it cuts to like, do we talk about this on the West Pod? I, I think we probably did, okay. but uh, whatever you can hear yeah, me repeat it because it it's yeah. amazing. But so we go from like seven kid classes or something right yeah. at Rushmore at this private school. And then it cuts to max in this like public school um, classroom of like 60 plus kids, yeah. like all just <laughs> squished in this one room. It looks like so many humans in a room, just like 
I thought it was hilarious. Obviously, like with the class size. Like, Kelsey, and, like, the- does that look like five too many kids to you? And we paused <laughs> yeah. it and we ended up counting all the rows and it was literally like 58 kids. It's so funny. Great um, way to exaggerate. Public yeah. Schools. Also, yeah. Just like the overpopulation of a lot of schools. And it, yeah. it was. Yeah. Anyway. Not funny, but funny. But funny. <laughs> um, okay. So let's talk about Troy. Um, so we're introduced my favorite to, business vlogger. Yeah. We're going to talk about Troy and Glenn first, and then we'll talk about Molly and Ben's character. So yeah. Troy, uh, played by Jimmy Tatro. We're mm-hmm. introduced to him after Joan, his mom has a seizure at the middle school production of bye bye birdie. And he is this like baller bro. I think that's the group he's a part of. That online. sounds right. <laughs> um, but now he has to run this camp and save this camp. Um, or as he says, when we meet him, take this camp camp from lame to lit. Nice. Um, and then he also (laughs) says he'll do this with his BDE, his business development expertise. Nice. Um, but he serves as this like outside character and Mm -hmm. possibly an audience figure for anyone who doesn't know anything about the theater world. That's a good point. He is kind of a surrogate. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so cause his performance as like this parody of a crypto bro and that's how the writers described his character is hilarious. Yeah. (laughs) Um, and because he holds his own, the jokes of the other characters being in conflict with him are like Mm -hmm. that much funnier. I think his character, his performance really elevates everything else. Yeah. And then his like transformation throughout the movie then makes the, the whole kind of like ending super successful. So I will wait to talk about that. Totally. And, um, but before we actually talk about either the ending or his connection with Glenn, do mm-hmm. you have any other like favorite Troy, uh, Jimmy Tatro moments? I mean, there's so many, I think better now, like the post Malone <laughs> yeah. thing is like really <laughs> the like, audition scene. I've said the word iconic a couple times, but it does feel like a moment you're going to remember in movies. Like I love seeing that in a theater. I just want to shout out Jimmy Tatro for a second because he's been trying to make it in film for like years now. And I've, he's really been one of my, f- like kind of like the most excited I've gotten watching a YouTube personality be in film. I yeah. think uh, out of any person I've seen on YouTube like or Vine, transition to feature films is really cool. He was in that movie Bad Education with Hugh Jackman a couple of years ago. That was very good. He was he was played oh. the son of the the woman in that movie, but I okay. forget who it was. Um, but yeah, if if listeners don't know Jimmy Tatro, he's a YouTube channel star. Like Life According to Jimmy is very popular to people like our age, and his parroting of it's fraternity like, stars. Yeah, the fight the baby <laughs> skit like. He just is, he is very famous in this uh, circle of dudes who are making fun of dude culture and they're just very good at it. And he's been doing that for a long time. So I'm just excited for him that he's finally kind of getting some recognition here in movies. And I think he does come through even the emotional moments. I think he actually is hitting another level. I haven't seen him him hit yet. So I'm really excited for whatever he has coming next, but there's so much to talk about in this movie. Like the way he just carries himself and wearing his high socks with his, his basketball shoes. Like he just, he is playing just like an extreme version of a fraternity jerk. But what's so great about (laughs) his character is that he is like very soft at his core. Yeah. That's why I love, I love Troy. Yeah. And he like throughout the movie gets closer and closer to seeing like, or maybe having a connection with his mom where at the beginning when we're introduced to him, he's like, yeah, my mom like does this theater stuff. Mm-hmm. I was like dunking with my bros and yeah. it like cuts to that, <laughs> that home video of him, like jumping over this kid popping out of a cardboard box. Like it, I, I loved all those like splices too, but yeah, 
I, I think you're right. Like the, the comedy and the emotional performances, but just to go back to the audition scene really quick, because it was one of my favorite things. So He's like sleeping in the back, right? He's like not participating for the first half of the movie. And then one of like the, the kid who says he's straight right at the end. He, yeah, I think it's Devin is his name. Okay. Yeah. He, yeah he's singing like post Malone. And then yeah. <laughs> when Jimmy Tatro just is dancing around in the front, like, I don't know Finally. if that was Im- improvised, um, but I just love that scene and him. We'll also talk about him and Amos having that conflict, yeah. right? Like Amos really dislikes him because he's like an outsider and he feels like, you know, that Troy possibly doesn't need like this, the sense of belonging, mm-hmm. right? Even though we know he does. Um, I thought they were trying to set up like Troy and Amos being like the Dewey and principal relationship. I thought the principal, like the way oh, that in school of rock. Yeah. The way Joan Cusack, sorry, in school of rock, the way Joan Cusack comes around on Dewey, I thought they were going to have Amos do with Troy, but they never Amos Amos. I'm sorry. I yeah. don't know. Yeah, the you, way they, I'm just going to say Ben's character. Sure. Ben's plot, Ben Platt and Jimmy Tatro. I thought they were going to have this like resolution. I don't know if we ever got it, but I did love their kind of back and forth. Like, especially yeah. just Ben Platt really giving him shit all the time. Yeah. Ben's character is like, that's inappropriate to give feedback during an audition. Yeah. Don't internalize Don't that. internalize it. Yeah. That was really funny. <laughs> um, but just a few more uh, for D- Jimmy Tatro. Uh, th- and this is credit to the editing, but at one point in his office, it shows a post-it note, uh, like with him sitting at the desk, mm-hmm. Joan's office. And it says, go off creatively, like his to-do list. Nice. <laughs> so great. And that's part of the scene <laughs> where the kids are like running to see the posted roles. I don't know if you remember that, but yes. just the pure Terror. chaotic energy. It honestly reminded me of like what a school day is like. It's just like that <laughs> chaos. Um, mm-hmm. But Troy was like hiding in his office just because he was afraid of the kids. And he was wearing that tie dye sweatshirt, um, the Knuff sweatshirt. Knuff. Yeah. Yes. That from Barbie. So yeah. I, I love that crossover. But also, I think beyond him and Ben Platt, him and Patty Harrison, the junior account manager at Barneswell Capital, they also had great chemistry. They were great. I, I did like their their arc. I like that he kind of was, by the end of the movie, he was like not into her anymore because he wasn't treating <laughs> yeah. his like emotions seriously. <laughs> that was funny. Yeah, they're great. Also, their banter partners. of like uh, gentrification. That was you? <laughs> that, was, that was my project. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I love at one point she says... Uh, or he finds out that she was watching his videos and mm, yeah. she says the GoPro loves you. Yes. An all time great line. Oh my God. <laughs> but I think also like then we see um, him attempting to save the camp. Mm-hmm. Right. And he turns the camp into an Airbnb for one um, guest, Tim. Yes. He's like, Tim can't sleep. <laughs> <laughs> and then also oh. obviously the, dinner with Carl from succession where the kids are like doing a war story live theater performance that gives one of the dinner guests PTSD, just great stuff. Um, yeah, I, the kind of like, um, what, what does that little girl say? She says, can I offer you a role or a chilling tale of how I lost my daughter? (laughs) And they're like, what the hell is going on in this place? Yeah, it's great. I, I can't like imagine how many, uh, just deleted scenes they have with random things. Like, do they have other ways that, that Jimmy Tatro's character was trying to save the camp? Like I would like to see That's a great everything. question. Yeah. Um, but next, next interview. Yeah. Well, he does say that he wants them to do like telegrams, right. And uh, Ben Platt's character is like, that is dangerous. Yeah. <laughs> but, but before we, we move on from Troy, I, 
also just want to talk really quick about his intro scene. I know we already did talk about like the mockumentary style, but I've mm-hmm. heard some people say like, oh, the mockumentary style is tired. Um, and first of all, like, I don't think so. I enjoy it, but I also think for we're just inundated movie, with content. I hate that criticism. Sure. This is tired. Maybe we yeah. should stop doing this for like five years. Yeah. What? So <laughs> it's awesome. But this movie in particular, I think does a really good job of evolving that style. Like instead of having the interviews like you're talking about with with people might be familiar with the office, like, you know, Jim talking about what just happened in the meeting, whatever. Yeah. Um, we have Troy like vlogging or TikToking or whatever he's doing with his GoPro. He hasn't hit TikTok yet. It hasn't been introduced to him yet. Oh, okay. Eventually. Um, but so we still get that effect of a character like being alone, a sort of like confessional space Mm -hmm. where he's like, Oh yeah, like locally low key, like I've got some personal stuff going on lately. Like (laughs) I feel naked without my ring light. Like all that really funny stuff is still able to happen. Um, and I feel like they just evolved it with this idea of like a internet uh frenzy lens yeah um though the one thing that i wish i wish we got a frame showing like who jimmy tatro's character followed on social because we have the baller bros that he follows yeah he would have followed like vine stars (laughs) like that casey guy like he there would have been a lot of like 2010 youtube vine celebrities does he does he follow? Um, who's that kid with the different sunglasses, like pink and green? Oh, and Roy Purdy, or like the backpack. Roy Purdy is a good example. Um, Maybe a little after him. Does he follow the Paul brothers? He followed the Paul brothers when they went Vine, but when they went corporate, he was done with them. <laughs> they didn't stick to their roots. <laughs> the baller bro code of ethics. As soon as they started boxing, too far for Troy. <laughs> okay, let's talk about Noah. Okay, Noah. let's. Noah Noah's Galvin. Character, Glenn. Um, I love Noah Galvin. I love Noah Galvin. Let's state it on the podcast. Like yeah. Molly Gordon supremacy, all of that is very real, but, and she's great. Okay. Molly Gordon is great. And a the lot bear, of people really Shiva like, baby yeah, pro. know her from the bear. Noah Galvin is so good in this movie. Like so, so good that I think I said after we watched it a second time, the Oscars won't do it, but they should. <laughs> this guy should get nominated for best supporting role. It is such a good performance. You know what? The Oscar schedule is like going to be pretty light because of all the movies that are not coming out. Do you think we could get a Joan still performance? If we (laughs) dedicated our podcast to Joan still for the next six months, I, yeah, I still don't think it would happen. (laughs) I also (laughs) loved Noah Galvin's performance and I loved Glenn. I just love that we meet him as a person. Uh, he's a tech person who like, doesn't believe in his talent, I right? Love, I thought you said, what? I thought you said, I love that we meet him as a person. <laughs> That's how you admit it. <laughs> you thought I was just being like, <laughs> I thought you really? paused. I was like, oh, wow. That and was he, deep. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. No, I'm the just tech getting person. like that way because it's theater camp. Um, but yeah, he teaches like, but okay. So, <laughs> <laughs> so he is someone, right? Who like doesn't he believe. He is someone. He is, he is also <laughs> someone. <laughs> Okay. Uh, All right. We're going off the rails. Okay. So he doesn't believe in his own talent. All right. Um, He knows he can do tech stuff, but along the way, as he is kind of getting more confident in his ability to dance and Mm -hmm. um, to just perform like with other people, he is also teaching Troy's character about turning cardboard into gold. Okay. Is that a quote? Yeah, remember he says that to Jimmy Tatro's character? No, I don't. That's hilarious. Um, yeah, he says it to him like when Troy is considering selling because he finds out they're going to go bankrupt and he's like 
what would Joan want to do? And we kind of realized that Glenn is this like reflection point for Troy. Mm -hmm. Um, like he's always there when Troy is kind of having this like crisis of should he sell the camp or not? Yeah. Um, and we realize also that like in all these moments that Glenn is when he's, when Glenn is telling Troy about the camp that he's probably close to Joan. Like he is probably maybe knows Joan more than Troy knows Joan, um, like his own mom. And he has maybe been like helping Troy connect to his mom in this weird way and what she stands for in this like strange way throughout their conversation. So I also like how, um, Glenn is like telling Troy also that the, uh, the kids really are at a high level. Like he's like, the kids are smart. Just meet them at their level. I just like that. He's supporting Troy also wanting to keep the camp together because it really is about the kids, not just your mom. I just think that was a, that was a cool way to, to be like, it's not just about your self-interest. It's just not about you, Troy. Yes, exactly. Um, yeah, I think Glenn and Troy are the emotional foundation of this movie because totally Troy believes in Glenn at the end. Okay. And we'll, we'll save the end, but, when we get to the scene before Joan still, there is a scene that I missed in my first viewing. Cause I was like, kind of, I didn't know what was going on, but mm-hmm. in the second viewing, I realized that Troy goes to Glenn and says like, you are the one who's going to save this. Like you can do this. Dude, I, I started crying so quickly the second time we watched it when he said that, because it's, you don't pick up <laughs> on it the so first nice. time you're watching really. I mean, we didn't pick up on it. I feel like, and we were like, okay, what's going on at the end of this movie? How are they going to wrap this up? And the second time you watch it and you know it's going to happen, it just hits you. I don't, maybe yeah. it doesn't hit everyone. It's a beautiful friendship. But it is yeah. very beautiful. Yeah. And I think. I want that like a go for Glenn. I want a go for Glenn bumper sticker. Go for Glenn. Go for Glenn. Yeah. <laughs> <That's> so funny. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I think like that moment, I genuinely at that moment thought that the kid who was going to play a pregnant gymnast, right? Like she leaves camp to do, to play that role, I think on TV. Is that what the role was? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh, that Um, was definitely ABC family or sorry, freeform. Yeah. There was a show. I think it's a direct reference to one, to a show on, on that channel. Yeah. yeah. I I forget now though, but I I'm thinking of Shailene Woodley Woodley from divergent. Yeah. She was in like the the American, wasn't like an American teenager. Wasn't it literally called American teenager? I think it was called pregnant American girl. No, it was was not. It was something like that. Um, (laughs) life of a, teenage girl something like that i, I don't know. know i i never watched that movie but i'd be so fascinated to see the politics it would be even funnier if we did like religiously watch that movie <laughs> our listeners no we've never seen that it's a show yeah it's a show or sorry show yeah. <laughs> um, all nine seasons yeah but i think the reason that his character is like so well developed throughout the movie is because he does have a talent uh, like he is in tech, which is really important for the show to to be successful. Yeah. So you are like, OK, a smart way to do that. This is like he's already like it, in his field, expert in his field. OK, go for Glenn. Yeah. On the walkie talkie. But he's overlooked. Yeah. Um, I love he says during that, like, go for Glenn, like the beeps of the walkie talkie kind of building the tension of tech week. Yeah. He's like, I'm dodging pilgrims. That's left what I was right. going to say. Yeah. That is the, <laughs> the most low key of Glenn jokes in this movie. That's great. Um, But I think that. <laughs> I think that also the kind of clues along the way that he also has other talents, right? Like the harmonizing with the buzzing wires. Uh, <laughs> do you remember that? They plant the trying? seeds. <laughs> and then also him dancing for the kids in the spotlight yeah. and being They're self-deprecating. Like, that was really good. like, that was so good. Yeah. Yeah. Great stuff. He's like, somebody else would have done it better. Probably. Yeah, probably. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> 
So, okay. I don't want to step on the end completely. I, w- I still want to talk about the final performance. Joan still mm-hmm. with our other characters, Molly's character and Ben's character. Yeah. So let's, let's go ahead and talk about Rebecca, Diane and Amos. So these characters are introduced as like lifelong friends. They have a super strong bond. I think at one point they, say they share a soul, right? (laughs) And they met at this camp. They're writing Joan still together. So when there is a rift in their friendship, even though you might not be consciously thinking of it, I think there is some sort of stress in the background of like, well, what's going to happen to Joan still, right? Because Molly's character is abandoning her responsibilities. She is not writing the final music uh, for Joan Still. She's missing her performances. She misses her performance at night. And then we have that great Ben Platt. Incredible. (laughs) I don't know if that was improv, but it's so good. He's like, Peter Piper picked a pepper. Wait. Peter Piper picked a life. Yeah. That's what he says. Yeah. <laughs> he picked friends, family. Uh, I, I'm sad we didn't time. get to see a Molly Gordon performance though. That would have been cool. Oh, the nighttime performance. Yeah. That would have been nice. yeah. I love the other performance from, uh, Amy Sedaris's like partner at the camp. Yeah. And she's like, they joined a union. Yes. <laughs> yeah. It's so funny. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I, I think like besides their, their friendship being at the crux of like the stress of will this play happen at the end? Mm-hmm. Um, also the camp is crumbling. It, does that mean their friendship is too, but then they come back together and form something that's even more beautiful, um, in the back of the bleachers. <laughs> but before we, we get to the end, I want to talk about amazing Molly and Ben moments because they killed their roles. Like we, yeah. we just talked about the Peter Piper picked a life, but uh, Molly, and Ben, I think announcing the plays at the beginning in the lunchroom yes. was so great. Just like talking about cats immersive, right? And cats yeah. immersive. Yeah. yeah. So good. And then also when Rebecca, Diane and Amos were planning the musical together. Yeah. When he's like on the piano and they're like selling the stocks, buying the stocks. They're like It's tap. It's a tap. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they have like these breakthroughs. Or even I think they were doing Joan still and they say daddy at one point and and Molly Gordon goes, yeah, but like a guttural dad. Is that, she says it. I yeah. didn't know if uh, her or Ben said it, but one of the all time great lines too. And then we get to see like the Joan still rehearsal and mm-hmm. Molly has those, those great lines. I think it's in the trailer. So people probably saw it, but the, the Jones life and legacy, like rests on your shoulders. Yeah. And this will break you right. The way that she's just like talking to kids and putting so much stress on this, one performance is so funny. Obviously, like the tear stick doping for actors moment. Great. So good. Yeah. Such a good <laughs> scene. The kids in that scene were incredible. Yeah. I love the way they hop on stage. It's all I love how they're like apologize to him. And he's the like, I don't care. Yeah. Great. <laughs> yeah. And then we have Molly running her own class when we had that montage of all the classes going on. And she does like the recorder. I don't know. Do you think kids still play a recorder in Absolutely. elementary school. Okay. Yeah. Hot cross you buns. You got to fill the time somewhere. But <laughs> I love when she does, she like does it wildly and she's like, sing that back to me. Yeah. Or there's the past live seminar. Yes. The, the past live thing is really funny because that one of the kids, I think they, Molly tells the kid like, you're done with your past lives. Like, yeah, this is, this your, is last your last one. one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let that inform your work. It's like shout out Celine song. Yeah. And then we had to like, Amos, um, he's this kind of like insecure, self-serious figure. Yeah. Um, right. Because when Molly, uh, when they finally have it out, he, um, she says like, 
oh no, no, he is like, why would you even do this without thinking of me first? Yes. And she says, I'm just going to let that sit in the space. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, I stand by it. <laughs> that's like when, when he, I think she says like, you never, you always interrupt me. And he's yeah. like, that's not true, Rebecca. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's That's great. not true. Yeah. <laughs> but really funny. I thought he was so good. Like he had a lot of great one-liners. He was like, Devin, I uh, need to like feel the pain of you being a father, yes. right? Like, or he says something about IBS. I don't know if I said that earlier in the pod, but yeah, it was yeah, so yeah. funny. And then also the, the like, if you drop a line, if there's a note off key, just what does that say about you? Yes. Great stuff. All of that really works. So and I think, a tear stick. Yeah. That's really I, I think great. they, they killed their performances. And then we have the like surprise at the end um, of Joan still and of Noah kind of coupled with them just finding their friendship again mm-hmm. um, because Molly did like kind of betray him in a way where she didn't write the final musical. So I thought going into Joan still, okay, we don't have our lead actor and we don't have the song finished. Like, right. is this just going to be a, a um, re- not a rehearsal, a performance week, right? All the parents are coming in yeah. where it's just going to be a mess. Um, but we were pleasantly surprised. Yeah. I had no idea where it was going. Yeah. So off the top here, I'm going to spoil my extra credit. Is that okay? okay? Sure. I want to Are we going to extra credits? Well, no, we're going to talk about the final, uh, Joan still performance and then kind of end with our extra credit. Sure. And then we'll go into my interview, but, um, I wanted to just spoil my extra credit now Okay. because I think the editing here that made it feel like a whole play, but you just get the funniest parts. It, it was so well done. Yes. Like the editing in general is my extra credit because there's like so much humor in the edit and just the, the, what Molly and Nick were able to do with so much footage. I'm sure they had, um, and, and really like cut out things that maybe weren't necessary. I think it was like a really well paced movie, but especially in the Joan still part, like I felt like I was watching a musical. It kind of tied up all the loose ends of the characters. Yeah. And I thought it was really well done with the editing. I think especially the montages between the kids acting in classes and oh, yeah. like Io's class and Molly's class, like just kind of showing the different time spent in each class and the way that they were acting or performing. Um, I think I, at one point her character told the kids, like, imagine you just lost your name or something like that or lost no, your family. You're talking about Io yeah. scared. No, she was, um, well, I don't know if that was a different scene. Um, but she was talking about the Kardashians. Okay. Oh, oh yes. That is what you thought. There was, was like four about. of them with masks I don't know. If, I don't know if you got the joke. Yeah, but they, they had, they had masks on and she was like, all your names start with the same letter. She's like, oh, you, you have a show. You wow. lost it. You lost it. It was a Kardashian joke. That's hilarious. No, I didn't get that. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I thought the mask work, I thought the combat scene with Io, we haven't talked about her yet, was great since we're on but, editing. But the editing there really worked. But the yeah. one in particular that I really thought jumped out off the page was um, when that they cut to the little girl and I don't know what cl- whose class she was in. It might have been Molly's class where she was like, I don't want another therapist, David. I uh, thought yeah. that was, she was on stage or something. Yeah. Such good line delivery. I, yeah. We need more, more of that in this movie. I would have taken hours of that kind of footage in this film. Yeah. And then there was also the fashion class with Gigi played by Owen Thiel. Oh yeah. And again, like um, all the actors are all, they're all friends um, of either Molly, Nick, Ben or Noah. So, okay. um, but Owen Thiel's character is like doing fashion lessons with the kids. And he's like, you need to know when to use a clavicle. Yeah. It's once a week. <laughs> it's just great stuff. And like, I think it was a long pause. Yeah. yeah. I, I think just like the, the last thing about the editing before we get into Joan still, 
Um, the improv from the kids was great. The mm-hmm. cuts between the like we are gay witches and this is our spell. Like the kids summoning. We're playing that somewhere in this episode. Yeah. yeah, To give them a part to like play their own. They're like basically praying in a sense by summoning the theater gods. Mm -hmm. And then also those cuts to like selling throat coat tea. And like, is this genuine throat coat? Genuine throat coat. I literally know what throat coat tea smells like because it's some of my favorite tea to have. Um, I don't think I felt seen ever had it. Yeah. I don't, I don't have a relationship to it. It's in our pantry downstairs, but okay. So let's go ahead and talk about Joan still. Then we'll get to your extra credit. So Noah, right. Appears as Joan and it's amazing. I think most people had this experience like we did where we at first did not know it was Noah. Uh Um, I did hear some people say like they know Noah Galvin. They know he's like huge in theater and he wouldn't just take a small part as like a tech person. So they like, assumed he had a bigger role i mean he took um, a small part in book smart so i went oh okay Noah galvin's back in this yeah. he's doing something similar here sure yeah so I, so, w- I was surprised to see that he was kind of the secret character all yeah along. yeah and then so when you have like the kind of finale song of camp isn't home but is it kind of mm-hmm. there's this like <laughs> the, the there's this like shock kind of that yeah. you experience because the music is so beautifully written mm-hmm. and you have these harmonies hitting you like, like music does on a, an emotional level yeah and then you also have the like absurd shock of rebecca diane's lyrics from her song that she made up on the spot um and it all kind of hits you at once and like that is the moment where i cry yeah I, I think I cried when he first comes out, like Noah okay. Gallon first comes out, and I definitely cried at the end, especially when they cut to like Troy, who's like Loving besides it. himself. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he loves it. And then Amos, uh, Ben Plot's character, like is kind of like pissed that he's doing so well. Yeah. He, he's like, <laughs> uh, and then I also love the lyric. I don't know why it stands out for me, uh, but the kids come to find forever friendships four hours from New York. I don't know why I thought that was so funny. But it's great. <laughs> I didn't pick up on that. Yeah, that's good. Um, And then we also have like Ben and Molly have their, you know, rekindling their friendship. They like crawl to each other at the back of the bleachers on, on top so of the bleachers. Of yeah. The whole crew. And they, they make up after their fight and she comes through in the end. She, she planned the song surprises him and just like belts into her mic with the mm-hmm. harmony. It's like so absurd, but funny. And then later on, they're like fist pumping in the background together. Yeah. I think all the, the numbers of the performance were so great too. Like the, the studio 54, the like feather boa Coke mm-hmm. into the nose yeah. is great. Um, these children matter to me. So I'll apply to SUNY. Yeah. <laughs> also amazing. A shimmy in the shoulders when you talk to the shareholders. The, so when, <laughs> when do you want to talk about this? What was your favorite song? Was it the boogie nights song or was it, I really like the, what the, the Jeffka Jeffka like, was shot. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the woman can't read all of that is like just really the way they play it is really funny. The buy the stock though. I, yeah. I think that one is special. It's great. I think I've never seen that kind of level of musical satire on the stock market. <laughs> so I really thought that was, that was just hilarious. It felt it like it was in the world of Wolf of Wall Street. Like, yes, know. exactly. It's a Fugazi. Yeah. If yeah. they only explored that further. Yeah. Um, but 
anyway, I think like I cried both times. I think you did too, right at the end of this movie. I think it works so perfectly. Mm-hmm. And then when we're in the like depths of our feelings with Joan still, um, and the, the camp isn't home, but is it kind of, we have these, like these cuts to the title cards of Troy and the baller bros. Right. Which by the way, we didn't talk about them showing up, but it's amazing when he tells Glenn that he called them in and Glenn's yeah. like, it sounds super legit. No. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> but the baller bros are also having a great time with their like pamphlets Yeah, and we get the title card. Like the baller bros are actually being invested by the sec. Yeah. Big um, GameStop guys. And, but fortunately Tim, the Airbnb guy saved the camp because Tim. he felt seen by his wall street days. <laughs> And his cocaine problem. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Not funny, but also in the context of this, very funny. Yeah. Um, there there was also, I think, didn't Jimmy Tatro's character sell a book? Did he sell? Oh, yeah. He made a book. Like, it's like, you can't spell community without coma. coma. Yeah, yeah, which is great. And then we have like that, that ending, because I forgot to mention that they had the live feed in Jones, like, yes. you know, hospital room, but, but not they, Jones. Bed. <laughs> yeah. But in the <laughs> wrong bed. And so it's not Amy Sedaris, but it's Susie Essman from curb mm-hmm. who like wakes up and it's like, that's incredible. That was incredible. It was so good. Um, I, I loved this movie. Yeah. It's one of my favorite movies of the past two years. Yeah. I, this is like in my top five, top 10 movies of the past two years. Wow. I was looking at my top 20 of the 2020s and I was like, is this number 20? Like it's, it's close at the very least. And the fact that it's even breaking like a top hundred of the past, you know, three or four years or the top 50 for, for anyone, you know, I think that's, you know, that says a lot considering that this movie should just be a mockumentary that, you know, on the surface, maybe just hit the streamers and people saw and they're like, that yeah. was cute. That was nice. It was funny. I like seeing some of those performers there, but I really felt like if the screens weren't taken up by, uh, J Robert Oppenheimer, duality of man and also uh mattel we would have seen more people see theater camp um unfortunately though i i think it probably didn't hit its budget unfortunately but it did do very well i don't i don't actually know the numbers but i it played very well the screens that it hit it just it was limited release really so yeah so i again like think you should go see this in theaters if you can can, because it was such it really one of the most fun theater experiences with people yeah and then also obviously like catch it on hulu if you can't make it to the theater but i'm excited to see the internet reaction people's reaction to this movie when it comes out yeah me too i am i guess i should give my extra credits yeah noah galvin i mean obviously Uh, like it's just like i don't want to like fanboy over galvin but it really is just such an incredible performance it's iconic i will never forget seeing him as joan on the stage and just like having a double take of like oh is that noah galvin um he's just great and i think i also didn't realize my relationship to book smart and the supporting characters like noah galvin and skylar gizondo like there's just so many fun supporting character actors in that movie that seeing and molly gordon is in book smart too and just seeing them in more films is making me so happy and i'm just getting excited i feel like we're having like a little Richard Linklater crew that's in their 20s that's going to be in their 30s soon led by Emma Seligman and Cooper Reif and it's just it's really cool to see young filmmakers have these crews of actors like wanting to work with them and then well, they're, doing they're all so friends well. yeah yeah it's cool that they're all friends it's too. funny because like we're watching you know Scorsese and Mean Streets is like a similar example right where he totally. has all his friends yeah except his friends Robert De Niro uh, and Harvey Keitel <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah I, I agree so go see this movie um, I love your extra credit for Noah Galvin. I think that 
definitely is great. Again, mine was the editing of the movie. So mm-hmm. you can go ahead and stay tuned for my conversation with Nick Lieberman. And he talks a lot about the inspirations of theater camp, the making of theater camp. Um, and he's just a really cool guy. So does I was he give glad movie that he came too? on. He does. Yeah. He gives extra credit uh, to movies that should be revisited. That's my favorite part of our own interviews. (laughs) I'm always excited. Yeah. I love hearing Rex from filmmakers. Yeah. We're going to be back with Shiva Baby and Bottoms next week. I'm so excited. All right. Cool. So on to my interview with Nick Lieberman. Welcome to the show. The extra credits recognizes movies that have meaning and your film theater camp really fits that criteria. It's so hilariously absurd yet authentic in how it approaches finding community and found family with some coming of age journeys mixed in there. And I was just pleasantly surprised at how equally laugh out loud funny and emotionally affecting this movie is, which is such a rare combination. And it just really works in your film. And I think, you know, both Trey and I walked out of our first screening and said, was that the best movie of the year? And (laughs) after a few more viewings, I think it's safe to say it's one of our favorite movies of the year. Wonderful. Yeah. So thanks for coming on today. Really excited for this conversation. Thank you so much. It's, it's wonderful to be here. And, and I so appreciate everything that you, uh, yeah, that you just said about the movie. Um, I think that was exactly the balance that we were trying to strike and yeah, knowing how much of the comedy was going to come from the edge of, you know, what is appropriate with kids and, and the intensity of theater and, and, and the passion and and that level of, um, yeah, just that, that, that absurd, uh, intensity that, that theater teachers and youth theater can have. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely want to get into all the hilarious moments of your movie. But I want to hear a little bit more about your filmmaking journey. I'd love to hear how that came about. Did you plan on being a filmmaker out of school? I know you jumped into music videos and editing. Was the plan to start from there? Yeah, you know, I mean, a a huge part of even the time I was in school, in college, you know, after having spent most of my childhood doing theater and, and specifically doing theater with Ben and, and Molly and, and a lot of our current friends still, um, I, I kind of in college started to move more into filmmaking and, uh, was already doing a lot of stuff with this group. So that, that there was a sense in which like, um, yeah, I always knew I wanted to be a filmmaker, but I also, or at least since I was, you know, like a young teenager, but I think that one of the cool things about this particular project being one of the first larger scaled, uh, projects that we've we've all gotten to work on is that it's come so directly from those early collaborations we had at you know 13 14 then again more in the film world at 17 18 19 and like you know now now we're here it's kind of fun yeah it's so cool that you all did theater together from such a young age and now get to work on a film project together i know There are so many theater inspirations since you all have such a deep love for it but aside from theater were there any movies that 
were also inspirations for theater camp? Definitely. I mean, I, I would say, you know, Molly and I are very, very interested in, in verite documentary filmmaking and the ways in which those movies in particular can blend tones and, and, and bring you directly into the drama of a moment without giving you a ton of exposition. It's like, you kind of just buy into the fact that this really matters to these people. And, and you're able to almost have a, like a literary experience of sort of figuring out through the details, through the behaviors, like what, what do I need to know? And I think like one thing we were trying to play with in this movie being a mockumentary, you know, there's been a lot of mockumentary comedy, but I think the idea was like, what's the minimum that people need and what is the sort of, um, not minimum, but just the like basic structural kind of rails you need to be on in terms of the stakes of a movie. And, and I think like that so many of our favorite documentaries have that ticking clock, like, you know, certainly a huge one for us is uh, The War Room, the D.A. Pennebaker movie, which is about, you know, Clinton's 1992 election. And, you know, that has this sort of ticking clock. We're getting towards the election and are we going to be able to pull this off? And then Similarly, the yeah, the the documentary about the recording of the company cast album has that same ticking clock. We have two days, three days to to get this. I also love Boys State from a few years ago. Yes. It's such a great movie. And I think I think all of these movies have that that um limited timeline and then drop you in and 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 create a attention that sustains for an entire movie. Yeah, theater camp, while driven by these funny character arcs and moments at camp, it does have that ticking time clock leading up to the final production of Joan Still. And you feel that pressure, similar to the films that you mentioned with Tech Week and like Go for Glenn and Noah rolling down the hill. But I love that you talked about Boy State too, because not only does it capture that pressure, you know, up to the elections. Uh, in that documentary that you're talking about. But as teachers, Trey and I often talk about how we rarely see accurate and honest portrayals of Gen Z on film. And Boy State and Theater Camp, I think, are great examples of films that are able to capture aspects of Gen Z where filmmakers often attempt to and fail. Like, obviously, you know, both Theater Camp and Boy State are heightened, but and Theater Camp probably captures a more inclusive piece of Gen Z where Boy State is in a different realm, but there is a connective thread there. Yes, totally. Yeah, no, I mean, on that, on that Gen Z front, you know, on the, on the theme of, of trying to authentically represent young people today, I think, you know, one thing we heard a lot when we were pitching this movie was how is improv going to be with the kids? How is that going to work? You know? And I think for, for us, there was certainly preparation and giving all the kids a sense of, okay, we have these jokes to fall back on. Here's something to, uh, you know, really lean on story-wise, but a lot of the moments and a lot of the things going on, on the fringes, you know, weren't like kids being directed into a box. It was very much a spirit of like, whatever you're bringing to this moment, however you think you'd react, however, this is making you feel like there's no wrong answers here and it's going to be edited like a documentary. You know, there's always going to be another chance. And I think shooting that way and having that freedom and really letting kids just be and represent who they 
are, even even in character, you know, and I, I don't want to diminish how smart these kids were as actors really bringing their, their sense of character to it, but they're filtering these situations through their character, through their age, I think landed it in a even more like authentically, you know, 14 year old place than, than we could do in our late twenties. Right. And it's not reducing a young character to like an angsty teen who's just on their phone. Right. Uh, they're creating something beautiful. Don't still, <laughs> <laughs> but I want to talk about your writing process also too, because you wrote the script with Molly Gordon, Ben Platt, and Noah Galvin. Can you talk a little bit about how you all became such a creative collective friendship and then also what it was like to write this with friends? Yeah. I mean, one thing that's sort of interesting on that front is, you know, sometimes people say like, what is it like to collaborate with people that you're so close to? But because we all sort of became friends via doing theater, we sort of were collaborators first at, you know, in Molly and Ben's case, like five years old, you know, it's like, we're so used to the overlap of friendship and doing creative work and how those things can go hand in hand and back and forth and deepen both the work and the bonds of friendship. So not to say that we're merely collaborators or something, but just that that our foundations really are in, you know, throwing ideas out, like getting messy, trying things. Um, it wasn't like all of a sudden, you know, exposing yourself to somebody that you're really close with. The, the, the vulnerability was was baked into our friendship. So um, yeah, and and I think, you know, the four of us have always really liked a, a process that is like very communal people bringing different ideas in different elements that they would love to see incorporated into the story at large. And we kind of go, okay, that's awesome. That's really funny. Doesn't fit with what we have so far. So like, how can we absorb that? And I think that's how um, the movie ended up feeling. So I don't know. I think there is just a, uh, you feel on some level like four people made it maybe hopefully not in a bad way but it's just dense with ideas and jokes and characters and there's just a lot going on and I think that spirit of abundance comes from four people who are all throwing ideas into the ring at all times all like rowing in the same direction um and you know we wrote most of this movie I would say over zoom and it was just like the the, the four of us you know, establishing a structure, establishing that sense of three weeks and we're building towards that final musical, but really just, um, yeah, throwing a lot of things at the wall and 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 seeing what stuck and, and, and what kinds of problems we can make for ourselves that then we could figure out how to solve collectively. And uh, yeah, that was one of the most uh, joyful parts of the whole thing, obviously, yeah. Yeah, when I saw Ben and Molly as little kids, I was like, is that actually them? Do they find kids that have the same exact face structure as a cgi yeah it's 100 percent them yeah it, it would be hard you know yeah we're all used to seeing those photoshops of yeah. baby photos on to yeah but it was so sweet it made the movie feel so personal even in this heightened mockumentary space and so given that you know this whole movie stems from shared experiences how did that writing process work with four people did it start from talking about memories in theater or did you start with a particular character arc that you wanted to see and build the script from there yeah i mean the, the this film was written um not as a traditional script with dialogue it was written as what they call a scriptment in that like every single scene in the movie uh was 
it, it was written out what would happen with the beginning, middle and end, all the different beats, but the actual dialogue was not written. And so, you know, I think because of that, it, it, it had this slightly like looser process where you were sort of like um, setting up different scenarios or different, um, you know, storylines that you could then interweave uh, into various moments. And so what I mean by that is like, okay, we knew we were going to have the dance in the middle of the, the movie. And so it becomes like, okay, what story beats could we put into this dance? And of course that would be the case no matter what, but I think the way in which we were able to um, put things in, take things out, you know, play with transitions and then, much later in the edit be be that loose as well in terms of or that like versatile and play with the timeline and those kinds of things you know i think when you're locked into a line by line um script you have to do a lot of that work beforehand and you're and you're really locked into like what what that is whereas we were calling on the fly all the time okay let's change the setup because now that joke's actually better served by being in this kind of a shot and um and yeah, we just we were we were very loose with it, which was cool. Yeah, and that's great because you. I think it's like similar to maybe what you're familiar with with editing documentaries and having all that footage to then play with. And I'm sure exactly. having three co-writers also starring in the movie and being able to have that freedom to improv, but and expand their role, but still be true to the bones was exactly. probably what made that so so special. And um, I think in another interview, I heard one of your co-writers say that. Uh, with all the improv scenes happening that sometimes people had to leave the room or leave set because while filming, there were scenes that people were laughing so hard uh, that (laughs) might ruin the take. And I was wondering if there was a scene that was either improvised or you just saw come to life that you all had talked about that really made you laugh the most. Like, I still think about the scenes um, from the movies like, you know, Peter Piper picked a life and uh, (laughs) just seeing like Molly, uh, Molly's character, Rebecca Diane jump or like roll on stage after finding the kid is using, you know, at the rehearsal for Jim Still and Ben's character, like leapfrogging on stage. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, what is he's like, you, you know, we choose to forgive, but never to forget. Um, Was there any moment while filming that you or the cast just could not keep it together? I mean, so many. And and what was exciting about this movie, too, was that, you know, unlike most film sets where there's a lot of repetition of the same material because of the improv, the entire crew was sort of sitting on the edge of their seats, like, oh, what are they going to do in this next, you know, take? So there was a there was an element of live performance to, to the whole day. Um, in terms of, you know, my personal difficulties, I don't know, you, you know... Watching Ben and Molly working on writing the musical, and um, Molly had some runs that have sunk since that are coming out on some reels where she was talking about maybe preparing the kids to be in a nightclub environment at Studio Fifty Four, and and maybe giving them just like you know maybe a little sip of alcohol or a little hit of weed or whatever. And Ben's react Ben couldn't keep it together because Molly was so confidently <laughs> pitching these ideas to him. It was like, yeah, I mean, I'm certainly not. I would say that 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 Noah and I are 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 the worst offenders. Both of us can't really keep it together. Ben and Molly have a little more of that internal resolve to just get through something so funny and not react. Especially Molly. Molly says some of the craziest stuff you've ever heard someone say. And you would you would think from watching her that she has no idea 
how funny it is though you know i she she's very smart in that way yeah yeah i um i loved when uh her character and Ben's character were doing the initial uh, show for announcing the musicals and uh-huh. all of the, I didn't catch all of the musical headlines, but <laughs> I think one was like black box and Botox. They're so funny. Yeah. That's that's yeah. some classic uh, Molly randomness, the, the briefcase, the door and the salad. Yeah. That's, that's straight out of Molly Gordon's mind right there. <laughs> yeah. And then I know you all wrote the script and outlined the bones of the script, but there was a lot of improv with the dialogue. But yes. because of that, I, I was so impressed that you were able to capture nuanced journeys for your characters as well. Mm. And was there a specific character journey that you found either challenging or fun to build through the editing process or on set? Yeah, that's a really great question. I mean, I think I think each of the arcs in their own way were difficult to construct in that we wrote into our outline and shot more beats than you needed for each of the stories. So you ended up with, you know, our our first rough cut of the movie was three hours long, but we were able to get it down to like an hour, 40 minutes within two weeks, because once you laid that all out, it was like, oh yeah, maybe you don't need this. Maybe you don't need that. And I think this idea that was a little challenging was, you know, wanting to be true and respect because anybody in theater knows you have to pay a lot of respect to the tech person, making sure that Glenn's character really felt like authentically a tech person. And it didn't feel, it felt like he had something to kind of um, get over or own as a person other than just performing. And that he had to find some kind of self-respect and it wasn't just like, oh, he's not a tech person at all. He's actually supposed to be this other thing and I you know I don't want to spoil too much of the movie but I think that the subtleties of that particular arc were you know took took a lot of work and and Noah played it so brilliantly and so and on so many different in so many different ways you know I think that was one of the things we earned with all the improvisation is we had so many options it wasn't like okay that was the take on the character and that was it you know I think the edit um was an opportunity to really shave away all the extraneous material and really just get down to this is what you need for this character to make sense and and that's not always easy you know until you've done a lot of work of cutting stuff you don't need yeah that makes a lot of sense with noah's character especially in the end it really is rewarding um emotionally i cried both times i saw it and i i think uh, that was a lot of people i heard walking out of the theater too it's not just because we're teachers i I do cry uh, whenever I see my students perform too, even if the play is bad. But <laughs> um, but I think especially with Noah's character arc and just the movie in general, like beyond the performances, there is a humorous like fabric in the the film and like a lot of heart in the film through your editing. Like you talked about before, there's the mockumentary style, like cutting to people's faces like was it uh cassie you know the kid who's responsible <laughs> for ending the piercings in that um, yes totally <laughs> uh, and that was <laughs> so effective and reminded me of some of my favorite movies and tv shows i don't know if you're familiar with pen 15 totally. but... no huge huge influence for us and 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 a huge uh guidepost of how to like balance those tones of of something that's really you know heart heart rendingly serious and yet like patently absurd and and so yeah no that's a perfect 
definitely a, a huge influence on us. I love to hear that because I love Pen15, but exactly like that was going to be my next question because Theater Camp similarly was able to capture something so unique where you have this like balance of absurdity and humor with care and empathy for the kids and the counselors and the story itself. And so what was that like on set and in the editing room trying to find that tonal balance? Right. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, I love movies and I love shows that really love their characters. And I think that just showing up every day and, and, and not really being like against Amos with his like borderline, maybe messed up treatment of children or, you know, like these elements of their characters that are bad doesn't necessarily mean that you don't have like a, an empathy or a sense of like investment in that character being true to who they are in that given scene. And that doesn't mean that you justify every behavior. It doesn't mean that every character should be get granted that level of empathy. But I do think that like in this particular case, it is like as soon as the character does something where it's like, okay, that's no longer funny. You know, you, I don't know. You almost like attune yourself more clearly to where that boundary is. And it's like, the truth of the matter is, you know, high schools across the country do Les Mis. If you're doing Les Mis, you have to cast somebody as, you know, a like Parisian sex worker. That is a character in the play. So it's like, you know, we can we can have a discussion about whether that's like right or not. I certainly think it is. I think it's right for kids to be expressing themselves in all sorts of different ways and exploring all aspects of the human condition. But, you know, is that kind of ridiculous? Yes. And I think like the 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 fact that our characters, you know, know it's ridiculous on some level and yet choose every day to commit their entire lives to it, you know, that that there's something beautiful in that. I think most of us know what we do is has some absurdity to it or some ridiculousness or some, you know, even making this film, you know, you're dressing up as a bunch of adults and playing pretend and, you know, but but our sense of commitment to the importance of this of what we're doing, you know, like you have to believe it's important. And, uh, and so, yeah, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure if that totally coheres into a, a full-blown philosophy, but I think somewhere in there is, 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 you know, the ethic that we tried to bring to this movie. No. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense with the humor of the kids playing like 60 year old characters <laughs> right. and tapping about wall street, but also with this clear love for the theater community. And it felt so perfectly balanced in that way with, the humor and the heart, which also created a really amazing community experience in the theater each time I've gone to see it. So thank you so much to you and your co-director, Molly Gordon, your co-writers, Ben Platt and Noah Galvin, and just the rest of the cast and crew who brought us this special movie. Um, We end every conversation with a recommendation for the listeners by asking creators, what is a film that you believe deserves extra credit? So we try to spread awareness of why meaningful films deserve more recognition and why people need to either check them out or revisit them. So is there a film from the past or present that you think deserves more credit? And I'll give you a second to think here because I know I'm putting you on the spot and just tell you about some examples that other writers and directors have said this year, like A.V. Rockwell recently said The Battle of Algiers and Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Ruben Uslan from Triangle of Sadness talked about one Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest last year, so it could be a movie that people have seen. And Zach Krager from Barbarian gave us some of his favorite horror movies like St. Maud, Audition, among others. So 
is there a film uh, that you believe deserves extra credit? Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I kind of touched on it earlier, but I think The War Room is like one of the most important movies ever made beyond just being so entertaining and hilarious. Um, because I think, you know, it, it really shows you the way in which um, power changes hands in this country and how, you know, even things that feel so big and so impossible is really just a bunch of people with their set of values in a room. And I think that James Carville being both a, uh, a personal, a fully realized three-dimensional character th- th- through his actions in the, the film, but also being a, being a political operative. You know, I think that there's this, this element that really spoke to us in this movie, but has just spoken to, to Molly and I over the years of just, you know, how can you find that spark that makes somebody so watchable and yet um, complicate that with, with uh, you know, yeah, not just that they're watchable, that they're successful, that they're doing something extremely well. And yet there's this almost um, compromised, complex uh, uh, complexity to, to who they are. Um, and I think that that movie is just a masterpiece. Um, trying to think of a comedy, too, because it would be good to balance it out with the comedy. I mean funny to say a comedy and then say like the exact opposite of a comedy, but I think for, (laughs) for, um, (laughs) for, for Molly and I as well, like, um, John Cassavetes and and especially a woman under the influence is, is a huge influence on us. And, um, that sense that, you know, I think right now so many movies are that are successful and, and great are, are taking place in worlds that are, adjacent to ours or have some element that um that that takes us to some alien land and i think that there's often something like nothing more alien than the infinite specificity of of real people and that improv and performance and and really just investing in in character can sometimes land you in places you've like never imagined that you'd end up going um and it's happening like a block away from you so I think um, A Woman Under the Influence is definitely a, a, a huge, huge movie for us. And, uh, and we're very inspired by the, the improvisational work of, of John Cassavetes. Yeah, I'm sure a lot of people are referencing comedies in relation to your movie. So I love that you are telling people to check out The War Room and A Woman Under the Influence or to revisit them. Um, but Nick, thank you so much for joining the show today. I'm just really excited again for you and your team. I think after theater camp is released on streaming, the fans will just grow and grow for this movie. So I'm so excited to see that. Um, before you leave today, can you tell listeners what's next for you or if there's something that you want to manifest on the pod? Yeah, no, thank you. Um, I think that one thing is that, you know, I probably would not be the only person on this podcast if it were not for the current SAG strike going on. And that that and and between that and the WGA strike, I think we're all feeling who love meaningful movies, uh, the need to make the career of making meaningful movies a viable lifelong option for people. Um, and uh, you know, I I think we're um, excited to have those conflicts resolved equitably, and and then we'll uh, we'll launch uh, into doing other things. But um, I know that you know all of my. I know all my collaborators, Molly, 
Noah and Ben all wish that they could uh, be here as well to to answer that question with me. <laughs> Definitely. And whenever or whatever you all have coming next, I am so excited and I will be there for it. So thanks again, Nick, for coming on the show. I really enjoyed our conversation today. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah,